listening to Behind the Line Best of Sunday Brisbane Line podcast with Craig and Lucy. So this is Lucy and Craig. And Should we specify which one's Lucy and which one's Craig? I think that's fine. I'm I think Lucy. <laughs> and I'm Craig. And we do a show uh, every Saturday, 12 to 1 on 4ZZZ Community Radio called Brisbane Line. This is Brisbane Line on 4ZZZ FM. The next hour will bring you the best alternative, local, national and international news. Brisbane Line from 12 to 1 on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday. 4ZZZ where your news isn't limited. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and we'd like to pay respects to Elders past, present and also emerging. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are advised that the following contains the names and voices of deceased persons, which may cause distress to members of these communities. The Australian government is always proud to be at the cutting edge of innovation. That's why instead of the NBN and renewable energy, we're bringing you the very latest from 19th century technology, coal and rail. Introducing the Carmichael Coal and Rail Project, a coal mine plus a train innovation. Once completed, it'll be the hugest new coal mine in the world. Which is grouse, because as we know, coal is good for humanity, whereas renewables cause lightning and child drownings. To make crap, we'll also be guided by the latest in 19th century methodology, colonialism. That's why we're disregarding the protests of the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners, who, just like those pesky natives at Standing Rock, are standing firmly in the way of our crap to defend their sacred country and waters from obliteration. By combining crap and colonialism, Australia is getting rid of many great barriers to progress, such as the Great Barrier Reef, which will dredge to make room for our expanded coal terminal. It's already half f***ed anyway, and nobody likes to see a job half done. The Great Artesian Basin, which crap will freely drain and contaminate. Crap will also help get rid of our current climate by digging up and burning 2.3 billion tonnes of coal, when we've been warned that the only way to avoid disasters to keep that shit in the ground. To achieve all this, we've hired an offshore company with extensive experience in human rights abuses, environmental destruction and corruption. Adani. When you put all this together, you can see why crap meets our full four-star fuck you world rating. And that's why we've given crap critical infrastructure status, which allows us to ignore any concerns you might have in order to fast track it to completion. Why didn't we give the NBN critical infrastructure status? What a silly question. The answer of course, authorised by the Ministry of 19th Century Solutions for 21st Century Australia. Brisbane Line is a current affairs and news show and has been going for a extremely long time. About 40 years. About 40 years. And some of us in this room are in fact around about that age. So <laughs> I don't know if extremely long time is... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in, in terms of radio programs. Community radio. Community yeah, yeah. radio, yeah. Hmm. It's like a weed. You can't kill it. <laughs> <laughs> that Is that should, a glowing endorsement of our the, show? That should be the radiothon theme. <laughs> Brisbane Line, it's like a weed. You can't kill it. <laughs> Not even with Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> so this podcast is, in fact, 
a bit of a behind the scenes. Yeah, a bit of a best of how we compile the show, what goes into it. Brisbane Line is on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays, but each show has their own way of going about it and this is just kind of what we like to do. So Brisbane Line has been nominated for the CBAA Awards Mm. and another Z initiative was the Get A Yes campaign, which has also been nominated and also shout out to Live Delay who were also nominated. What might be interesting is a bit of a behind-the-scenes show about how we actually put the stuff together for the weekly Saturday news hour that is one of the four best community radio news shows in the world. In the world? (laughs) In in Australia. In the world, that's a bit much. But yeah, it might be a bit much. We've been doing the show together for about a year and things have come out throughout that year there are things that we do every week now that we weren't doing in the beginning you're listening to behind the line best of Saturday Brisbane line podcast with Craig and Lucy so one of the things that we've done every week that we never really discussed but it just came out and about didn't it was a song that is Political, but yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't have to be a political song. We contextualise that song by explaining a socio-political issue that has caught our interest during the week and kind of matched it with a song. We thought what we'd start off with is a medley of mm. some of our favourite, not even favourite, but some of the most important, maybe some of the most influential, some of the songs that have taken our attention. The first one is one of your favourites. Yeah, the revolution will not be televised. The next song in the medley is um, Old Man Atom. Mm. This was released in the 1940s by Vern Partlow. Yeah. That's right, Vern Partlow. Vern Partlow. Yep. It was recommended to us by one of our reporters, Andy Payne. Yeah, it was somewhat in relation to a story he did. Mm. It is the first anti-nuke song recorded. Yeah. Vern Partlow, he was a journalist and he put his career on the line because he he recorded this quite soon after Hiroshima and Nagasaki Mm. and he was blacklisted. And to add to that, it's also just a hilarious satirical song. Cis White Boy, that was the next one. By Boat Show. Boat Show. Can you, can you educate me, please? So I Boat don't know Show anything about this. are from Western Australia. This song is about how entitled cis white males uh-huh. often feel. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just some kick-ass women going, I don't care what you think you're entitled to. I'm not listening. Nice not work. listening. Nice work, Boat Show. Yeah. <laughs> I like the title, uh, the <laughs> band name. We've also got Pussy Riot. What's great about this song is that it's just a low-key kind of laid-back song from Pussy Riot, who are a punk band, but hey, they're going to do some chilled-out pop. Next is The Healing Stone mm. by Yothi Yindi, which I think we've played a couple of times. We'd ha- we have played this a couple of times. It is really beautiful, and mm. I think we also played this the same week that we aired my favourite story, which is coming up later in regards to treaties and the Uluru Convention. And I think it's the sentiment of Healing Stone is, I think, completely apt in terms of treaties and how how much we really need them in this country. Finally, we're going to go with Alice Ether with My Story Mm. Is Your Story. Alice Ether was also just a fantastically intellectual person and we played this song I think a week before she passed away and then we played it again just in tribute for her this is a language and content warning the next item could have language or adult themes 
You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, out of guard bikini. I'm going to preach you all a sermon about old man Adam, that's me. I don't mean the Adam in the Bible, Adam. I don't mean the Adam that Mother Eve elated. I mean the thing that science liberated. The thing that Einstein says he's scared of. And when Einstein's scared, brother, you'd better be scared. If you're scared of the Adam, here's what you gotta do. You gotta gather all the people in the world with you. Cause if you don't get together and do it, well, first thing you know, I'm gonna blow this world plumb too. Hiroshima, Give me medicine 
People ask me for my story, but my story is your story. My feet are in the dirt, and the dirt it speaks in dust. And the trees they speak in leaves, like the people speak in trust. And the water speaks in waves, and the dust is in the wind. So the country covers my skin, and my skin covers this body. And this body has a vessel in this chest that carries messages from my ancestors what to do against a threat. And these messages come to me in dreams, and I've collected so many now, they're asking me to speak. People ask me for my story, but I thought my story was your story. When I see map of country, I see land, sea and family. When they see map of country, they see mining fantasies. When I see the seabed, I see sacred sites. When they see the seabed, they see dollar signs. That was the socio-political song Medley. And this is your favourite story. This is my favourite story. This is an interview I did with Harry Hobbs about the Uluru Convention, which was kind of only really covered in the week that the big convention actually occurred. It was, a, there was, a, no one really talked about the fact that it was a long process that had been happening since midway through 2016. There were a lot of meetings, a lot of people consulted about what needs to be done to go forward in regards to constitutional reform. So these meetings and these events were all epitomised by the big Uluru Convention and there was some controversy because some important Indigenous leaders left the room and never came back at some points. What I didn't know before doing this interview was that treaties are numerous. You don't just have one treaty. Harry mentioned Canada quite a lot. They have hundreds of treaties. It's an ongoing process. They're still being created. Last week, over 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander delegates gathered for the Uluru Convention, the summation of First Nations dialogues, which have been held around Australia since December 2016. I spoke with Harry Hobbs from the University of New South Wales about the Uluru Convention as well as the process towards constitutional recognition. So the aim of the Uluru Convention was essentially to reach a consensus statement among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples across Australia as to what constitutional recognition means to them and their communities. Uh, so the process of constitutional recognition has been going on for a long time in Australia. Uh, it's started, at least at this stage, started uh, with Julia Gillard's minority government um, and part of the agreement was uh, to form government with the uh, independents and the Greens uh, was to set up an expert panel which was going to investigate what constitutional recognition should, should look like uh, of Indigenous Australians. And so that panel uh, reported in 2012 and was set up a number of recommendations. Uh, those recommendations were ignored. Uh, subsequently, uh, a joint parliamentary select committee was set up to do a similar uh, similar inquiry. Uh, they released their final report in, in uh, 2015, uh, and that report also went nowhere. Uh, and so for a while there, it looked like constitutional recognition was going to sort of fall off the political radar and nothing was really going to happen. Uh, 
But what happened instead was a referendum, the Referendum Council was established. Its aim, I guess, was, was really quite different. The Referendum Council was appointed by Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Opposition Leader Bill Shorten in 2015 and advises on the steps towards constitutional reform. Uh, their focus was on a deliberative uh, process where they only spoke to Indigenous Australians and did so in a deliberative format. What they did was they had a three days, three day regional dialogues all across Australia where people could come, they could talk about what recognition would mean to them and, and what, what it meant, would mean for their communities. Uh, and then the culmination of that was the Uluru Dialogue or the Uluru Constitutional Convention uh, last week. Uh, and there, uh, de- delegates from around the country agreed on a consensus statement. Historically, the Constitution has made no mention of Indigenous Australians, but includes a race provision that has been used to discriminate. Harry gives us some background. Part of the push for constitutional recognition has been catalyzed from the decision in 1998 by the High Court. As originally drafted, the Australian Constitution in the 1890s largely ignored Indigenous peoples, uh, and they weren't invited to the conventions, and their interests were not considered. They were kind of completely written out of the Constitution. And so the Constitution divides responsibilities between the states and the federal government. And so as initially drafted, the, the Section 5126, which gives the power to the Parliament to make laws with respect to people of any race, it was also said that they left out Aboriginal entirely. So the, the statement read, or the provision read, that the Parliament could make laws with respect to people of any race other than the Aboriginal race, if it's deemed necessary to make special laws, which left responsibility for responsibility Indigenous affairs entirely in the hands of the state. So this changed in 1967 when the Australian people voted overwhelmingly in a referendum to amend the Constitution. And so the amendment altered the wording here and so allowed the Federal Parliament to legislate specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. So this was a momentous change and allowed the Parliament to really start to remedy some of the problems that were that were existing and that the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were facing. Uh, it still permits Parliament to enact laws that discriminate based on a person's race and, and allow them to sort of pass laws that adversely discriminate. And so this race power has only ever been used to discriminate against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and it's been used four times. The Uluru Statement doesn't propose to get rid of that. All it says is when you are going to legislate for Aboriginal people, we would like to have a say over that legislation. You're listening to Behind the Line, Best of Sunday Brisbane Line podcast with Craig and Lucy. You mentioned that there's been a history of ignoring recommendations uh, in regards to constitutional recognition. Why has there been so much ignorance towards this? I guess, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say exactly why. Indigenous Australians' issues are never sort of the most important issues on the political agenda generally. It's often easier to, to ignore them. But also, I think there wasn't necessarily, despite those two earlier reports, I don't think there was necessarily enough knowledge of, amongst the community, I guess, about, about the process and about the need for reform of the constitution. In that sense, there wasn't enough pressure from the community to force politicians to continue to progress these issues. What were the main outcomes of the convention? So the other statement from the heart suggests sort of three or talks about three things that, that Indigenous Australians want constitutional reform to look like. The first of those is a constitutionally enshrined voice to the federal parliament. What it looks like will be an advisory body elected by Indigenous peoples that advise parliament on proposed laws that affect Indigenous peoples. So whenever parliament is intending to sort of pass legislation that amends the Native Title Act or or amends the Aboriginal Heritage Act, for example. This body would produce a report and they'd explain to Parliament how those proposed changes would affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait peoples across Australia. wouldn't have any veto power. Parliament would be free to ignore the advice if, if they so chose, if they deemed it inappropriate or, or not useful. That's quite a moderate form for part of the population that constitutes only 3%. Uh, Indigenous Australians really have no voice in Parliament at the moment and then unable to use the ballot box essentially to kick out parliamentarians who aren't representing their interests. The second element in the Uluru Statement was the idea of a Makarata Commission. Makarata is the Longu word for treaty, 
The idea of a Makarata Commission is essentially to supervise agreement making between different governments and Indigenous peoples. Unlike the United States, unlike Canada, unlike New Zealand, Australia hasn't ever recognised, formally recognised a treaty between its Indigenous peoples and the state. Since 1973, Canada has signed 26 treaties with its Indigenous peoples, and another 75 are still being negotiated today. So the Makarata Commission would essentially supervise this process. And the third element of that, of, or in the restatement, was the idea of truth-telling. And so the Makarata Commission, as part of its mandate, would also engage in a process of, of truth-telling uh, and uh, basically allowing Australians to understand the, their history and the history of this country and how Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have been affected by that history, essentially. And so the, there's the three prongs, I guess, truth justice, which is the Makarata Commission, and power, which is the voice to Parliament. And so if these proposals are put in place, would that lead to both constitutional recognition and a treaty? The Makarata Commission doesn't need uh, constitutional reform, don't need to take that to a referendum. That could be legislated by Parliament tomorrow. The constitutionally enshrined voice to Parliament would need a referendum. If these proposals are accepted by the Referendum Council or adopted by the Referendum Council and then adopted by government, what that would mean would essentially be recognition in the Constitution. This is a sort of a different form of recognition. It's not just a mere symbolic acknowledgement. First Nations peoples have told the Referendum Council that they don't want recognition if it means a tokenistic acknowledgement, but rather constitutional reform that makes a real difference in their communities. Treaty processes are well underway at the state level in Australia. In February last year, the Victorian government announced its commitment to negotiate a treaty with the 39 Indigenous nations that reside within the state. The South Australian government has also started negotiating treaties or stepped up, started on the process negotiating treaties. They've appointed a treaty commissioner and set aside $4.4 million over five years for a treaty process. And moves are also afoot in the Northern Territory. In, uh, in 2015, the Liberal West Australian government signed the largest and most comprehensive agreement to settle Aboriginal interests in land in Australian history uh, with the Noongar people of, of southwest Western Australia. This agreement was conducted under the framework of the Native Title Act, as opposed to a specific treaty process. However, has raised comparisons to traditional treaties like that of Canada. This Makarata Commission, even though it may, be, may take some people as a surprise, this idea of uh, treaty making between uh, governments and Indigenous peoples in Australia, really at the state and territory level, treaty processes are ongoing and have been for the last, uh, last, year, last year or two, really. How do you think the consolidated proposals, when they're released by the Referendum Council, will be received? There's two points here, how they'll be received by politicians and how they'll be received by the general community. I think what uh, Pat Anderson, who was part of the Referendum Council, what she said I think is, is very, very important. And she said that all politicians need to take a deep breath and, and wait and, and listen to Indigenous peoples and, and, and see what they say. And so the Referendum Council now is, is consolidating the Uluru Statement proposals and also uh, previous recommendations. And they're going to set up a, a package of reforms, essentially, that they think will have the best chance of succeeding at a referendum. So on that panel, on the Referendum Council, there are very, very very eminent people, including former politicians, I think Amanda Vanstone's on that panel, and so is uh, former Chief Justice Murray Gleeson. So these are people who, who really know this area very well. And so I think what options they propose, I think, will be eminently achievable. And I think also, if they do reflect the aspirations of Indigenous peoples, as reflected in the Uluru Statement, then I think that they'll be worthwhile as well. What is the future of reconciliation? Reconciliation isn't, uh, isn't a moment or, or an event or, or an endpoint. It's obviously a, a process. And so I think this would be another step in the way, a step along the path to sort of a meaningful and, and a respectful relationship between uh, the state and Indigenous Australians. Delegations have nominated a working group to ensure the implementation of the statement following the Referendum Council's report to the government. This report will be informed by the Uluru Statement and will be delivered on the 30th of June. Lucy Javinsky for 4 Z News. 
You're listening to Behind the Line, best of Sunday Brisbane Line podcasts with Craig and Lucy. G'day, I'm from the Australian Government. Do you love koalas? How cute are they? No, look at this one. What about trees? Here's a koala in a tree. You like that, hey? Well, fuck you then, because Australia's koala population is declining so rapidly, your grandkids will only ever see one of these fairy bastards in a show bag. But relax, it's just a natural consequence of the regional forest agreements we introduced back in the 90s. Just like your inability to afford your own home today is a natural consequence of this bullshit from back then. That and those smashed avo brekkies you scoff all day it's all part of our fuck it policy making sure there'll be less good shit left for our kids to enjoy we introduced fuck it soon after we invaded pandora i mean australia by obliterating half of our ancient native forests and now thanks to those rfas and the highest rate of land clearing in the developed world we're doing our best to destroy what's left which is why so many koalas have nowhere left to live just like all you first home buyers out there oh and if barney gets his way this little fella will soon be homeless and bugged off too. But look on the bright side. Logging jobs have actually, they've also declined due to mechanisation and, well, the fact there's fewer native trees left to log. So as you can see, it's been a lose-lose strategy. And that's why we're planning to renew those RFAs for another Another two two decades. decades. So we can turn what's left of this into paper, coffee cups and shit tickets. Instead of using plantations, alternative fibres and protecting the remaining wilderness in proposed sanctuaries like the Great Koala National Park and the Great Forest National Park, which would create stacks of ongoing tourism jobs, stunning recreational areas, a secure home for furry buggers and help avoid epic climate change fail since our eucalypt forests store more carbon than any other forest in the world. Koalas in trees. Cute. But fuck it. Authorised by the Australian Department for Intergenerational Theft. This next story is my fave. It broke open an entire vested interest industry. It's an expose on Christmas. And I I think I'll explain it this way. I love radio so much. And I didn't think about it in these terms when I was doing it. But I love radio so much. I took all my recording equipment down to my father's house for Christmas in 2016 and on Christmas Day my niece and I hung out together and I got her to interview everybody about Christmas and what they'd been doing and the presents they'd received. So I kind of trained my eight-year-old niece to be a radio journalist on Christmas Day and I had a ball and she had a ball. This is the only story I've done on Saturday Brisbane Line that has had any feedback whatsoever and we got texts about this interview. This is Christmas in Marimbilla. Dashing through the bush in an artsy old newt, kicking up the dust, esky in the boot. That's my niece, Kayla. Kayla by my side, singing Christmas songs. It's summertime and I'm in singlet shorts and thongs. This year, my family had our first Marimbilla Christmas. My dad just moved there. My niece and I put together this snapshot of the day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Christmas in Australia on a scorching summer's day. Hey! Hello Kayla, how are you? I'm good, thank you. What have you been doing today? Well, I've been opening presents, opening my stockings. Where'd you get your presents from? Well, a lot of people and Santa. And so Santa, he gives you presents? Yeah, and I got a lot of other presents too. Really? So what other presents did you get? Who do you get them from? 
I got some clothes, I got shoes, I got a frisbee, I got a lot of chocolates. And they were from mum and dad and uncles and aunties and that sort of thing, is that right? Yep, that's right. And so what did Santa Claus give you? Well, I got a basketball from him. Excellent. Um, Now, can I ask you, who is Santa Claus? Can you explain to me who he is? He's fat. And that's it? He wears red and white. And what does he do? Well, he works once a year and he comes and gives presents to lots of kids. Is he magic? Yes. Have you ever met him or seen him? No, I haven't. So, how do you know who he is and what he does? Because I've heard a lot of stories about him. Who exactly has told you these stories? Well, the internet. Well, I get a clip from him every year. That's interesting. That's kind of cool. And what's your favourite part of Christmas Day? Well, spending time with family and friends. We're talking to Jim. What have you been doing today, Jim? Jim, otherwise known as Papa Jim, is my father and Kayla's grandfather. Well, it's what Christmas Day is, you know, and a beautiful day outside. Fairly warm at the moment, but I, um, I got up, I had, had coffee, just relaxed a little while, waited for you to come back from the beach after having a swim. And then once you got home, we opened the Christmas presents. Now, that was a lot of fun, wasn't it? It wasn't long after that we started to get ready for, for lunch. Then we sat outside and had lunch. Beautiful. Then in the afternoon, I had a sleep, and it's not that long ago that I woke up, and now I'm talking to you. Oh, so you've had a fabulous day today, then? I certainly have. What about yourself? Yep. Okay, so... I'm interviewing Peter Ann. Peter Ann is my sister, Kayla's mother. How was your day? My Christmas day was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. What did you do? Early this morning we went to the beach and we did some boogie boarding. So I went with my husband, Adrian, and my beautiful daughter, Kayla. And we swam for about an hour and a half. Then we came back, we had a shower, and then we opened our presents. Oh, what did you get in your presents? I received some wonderful binoculars, which I love. Nice. I got a new swimsuit. Ooh. And I got some chocolate. So, you had a nice day today. I had a beautiful day. What have you been doing today, Adrian? Adrian is Kayla's dad, my brother-in-law. I've been putting together Mum's bed, the IKEA bed, and some cupboards. I had a cup of tea in my new teapot I got for Christmas Day, and we unwrapped presents this morning. What sort of present other than your teapot did you get? I've got some undies. Classical present. What is a classical present? Undies. Yeah, it is. It's, it is a classical present for a dad. Pretty typical. Same as chocolates for little girls, I think. Maybe we should swap next year. You get the undies and I get the chocolates. What do you reckon? Mm, no, thank you. 
Oh, okay. Um, and we went for a surf this morning too. Who with? Kayla and Mum. Oh, looks like you've had a nice day today then. I'm interviewing Shona. Shona is my partner, Kayla's auntie. So what have you been doing today? I've been chilling out. I had a lovely lunch with you and Peter Ann and Adrian and Craig and Papa Jim. And we exchanged presents, which was really lovely, seeing how excited everyone was about giving presents and sharing ideas with people. We sat outside, which was really nice. And I listened to you reading some weirdo, which was pretty cool. Who gave you some presents? Oh, well, you and your parents gave me some teas, which were really, really lovely. And I'm very excited about trying them all. And it came in a really nice red tin. And Papa Jim gave Uncle Craig and I some beautiful, beautiful paintings that he did, which we're really, really excited about. So we can show our friends what an amazing artist he is. And Uncle Craig also gave me a present, which said he would help to design me a business card. This is Kayla reporting live from Whistler Radio. <laughs> this is Kayla Rose reporting live from Whistler Radio. Whistler Radio. Oh, this is Kayla Timer reporting live from Whistler Radio. Dashing through the bush in our sealed and newt, kicking up the dust, esky in the boot. Gula by my side, singing Christmas songs. It's summertime and I'm in singlet shorts and thongs. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Christmas in Australia on a scorching summer's day. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, Christmas time is beautiful. Oh, what fun it is to ride in rusty old and ute. And just getting hot, dodge the kangaroo. Score is climbing aboard. He is welcome too. All the family is there, sitting by the pool. Christmas day is crazy away by the barbecue. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, Christmas time is beautiful. Oh, a it is too hot and rusty, old and new day. Come the afternoon, Grandpa has a dose. The kids and Uncle Bruce are swimming in their clothes. The time comes around to go. We take the family snack, then pack the cars and all shoot through before the washing up. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Christmas in Australia on a scorching summer's day. Jingle bells, jingle bells, Christmas time is beautiful. Hot fun is in the rusty old and new hold on. For your dose of news, current affairs, and analysis, tune in to 4 Triple Z 102.1 FM, 12 to 1 p.m. daily. Only human, Eco Radio, Paradigm Shift, Megahertz, and Brisbane Line, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday. 4 Triple Z 102.1 FM, People Powered Radio. Given all the time I spend chasing, recording, and editing these things, it's hard to pick a favourite Brisbane Line story. But one of my favourites would have to be the interview I did with Mayor of Fremantle, Brad Pettit, about that council's decision to scrap its Australia Day fireworks on January 26th and investigate other, more inclusive ways of celebrating being Australian. This is Brisbane Line regular reporter Andy Payne, also from Paradigm Shift, Fridays from 12 to 1pm. I heard about the council vote before it happened by virtue of having friends in Fremantle. 
That actually happens to be how I find out about a lot of potential stories. I called the mayor's office the day of the vote to line up an interview the next day. I think he must have been surprised to hear a radio station from literally the other side of the country following the issue, but I thought it was a really important story. This story captures a lot of what I personally think is important about independent media. It brings to the fore voices that are often marginalised, it invites us to see a common topic from a different angle, but also it's news that's not just reporting on bad things or speaking as a passive observer. I like to seek out and give voice to people who are working to create positive changes. Over the next few days, the decision of the Fremantle Council predictably copped a lot of criticism from the conservative media. But I hoped Brad Petter and everyone else involved in that decision was cheered by knowing a radio station in Brisbane wanted to hear from his mouth why he supported such a remarkable and brave decision. The Council of Fremantle, just south of Perth in Western Australia, on Wednesday night voted 10 to 1 in favour of scrapping the city's Australia Day fireworks on January 26th next year. The council says the fireworks will be replaced with a family-friendly event to celebrate being Australian on another date. I spoke to Mayor of Fremantle, Brad Pettit, about the change. There are a few reasons. Um, it's fair to say the primary driver that got us thinking down this direction was some conversations that we had with Aboriginal elders in and around Fremantle who raised with us that for them Australia Day wasn't a day of celebration. Um, it actually was a day of sadness and the sense for them a bit, a bit of a start of what they saw as a story of dispossession. So they, they kind of got us really thinking about it and we had ongoing meetings with both our Aboriginal elders and also other members of the local community. We thought it was an opportunity to really to rethink what, what happened on Australia Day in Frio and the kind of events that we did that day and that was ended up um, with the vote last night which saw the council overwhelmingly vote in favour of not doing fireworks next year but doing other events instead. Was that a surprise, the overwhelming vote? Look, it was certainly... It was one that evolved over time because it would be fair to say that if you had have spoken to many of us even only a couple of months ago, um, the, the views would have been much more diverse. But there was a sense of a growing consensus and with some really strong feedback from Aboriginal elders that this was the right way to go. So I was pleasantly surprised that it was pretty close to, to unanimous. So you've said that there were conversations with Noongar people about this. Was it that it was led by Aboriginal people there or was it that the council approached Noongar people? It was started actually with some of the Noongar people at Australia Day last year. So we were actually holding our Australia Day celebrations, which we had Aboriginal people at last year, and they actually raised this issue with us. And it also came on the back, I think, of what was a broader conversation that was happening earlier this year around perhaps driven partly by Stan Grant and some of his quite powerful speeches on Australia's racist history that actually started to get this ball rolling. And um, once we really started that conversation, we started to realise that this idea that Australia Day was just a celebration really isn't an idea that you can sustain once you're kind of subjected to a bit of scrutiny. It's been talked about doing alternative celebrations next year. What kind of alternatives are being proposed? So we're thinking of actually not doing anything on Australia Day. Australia Day itself will be a day of, really a day of reflection, still a public holiday where people can kind of, for themselves, reflect on what it means to be Australian and Australia's history. And instead would move the 
celebratory nature of things to another day, um, probably a few days later, where we would have a much, uh, try and have a really inclusive event that would include light shows or laser shows and bands and and, and even um, some really strong, well-known speakers on a range of issues and get uh, a range of activities that would bring both families and people into Fremantle is certainly the intent. Is it a chance to examine a, a different kind of history of Fremantle, including an Aboriginal history? Look, that's certainly part of it. And I mean, Fremantle has an extraordinary history um, in terms of its Aboriginal history. Um, it, whilst it's been Western Australia's major port for almost 200 years, it was actually a major trading station for the Noongar people in this, in, this, in this part of the country for tens of thousands of years before that. And so it's got a long history and a really important history in terms of the long um, Aboriginal relationship with this country. And uh, we think that's a really important part of the story that needs to be told. But it's not just about that. It's actually about acknowledging the long, diverse history of, of this place and, we're, and that we're all in it together and realising that the 26th of January, the day that New South Wales might have been you know, first settled by white people, was probably not the best day for us in Western Australia to be having our, our sense of what it means to be Australian. So even before the vote last night, there'd been the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce sort of expressing dissent and some other voices. Are you expecting much of a backlash? Oh, look, there's certainly been some very strong and diverse responses to this decision. And the business community was concerned that we would lose some business activity by not having it on that day. Certainly the the fireworks were were very popular with 30,000 odd people coming into Freer. What we were keep to do is try and find other activities that will bring lots of people into Fremantle as well. But actually on a day when more businesses are open, so we're trying to actually find a win-win here where the businesses in Fremantle win, who who of course are the Chamber's clients, but also Aboriginal people and the broader community has has actually a better day and a more inclusive day that more people feel more comfortable being part of. What's been the reaction so far since the news has come out? Um, actually, there's been a lot of reaction. Some of it extremely positive and some of it kind of angry and quite negative and quite uh, upset. And to those who are upset, the explanation that I've been trying to say is we're not cancelling Australia Day. It will still be a holiday. In fact, there will still be plenty of fireworks in other locations around Perth and Western Australia. All we're saying is we're offering a different alternative in Fremantle, a different option for people to come and enjoy. And that I think for, for us as a country, we're mature enough to have those options and to have this discussion around what, what Australia Day really means. Okay, thanks very much, Brad. Thanks for your time. Cheers. G'day, I'm from the Australian Government. Are you ready for the marriage equality plebiscite? A plebiscite is when we force the nation to come together and do something really plebi and shite, such as voting on whether certain members of our society deserve the same human rights as everyone else. Because in Australia, we decide who gets to have human rights and who doesn't. Plebiscite! We're not doing this to find out your opinion. We already know from actual surveys that 72% of you support marriage equality and that this figure is even higher among young Australians. We're just doing this to please a bunch of dinosaurs from the late homophobic era who really don't want Australia to advance into the 21st century. Which is why instead of having a vote in Parliament, we're blowing shit tons of money on a non-binding, non-compulsory postal survey. But hey, at least we'll be teaching millennials how to use stamps and envelopes, as well as providing a national platform to vilify and demean LGBTI Australians and their children in the process. Plebiscite! By making it a postal vote, we've made it as hard as possible for those in favour of marriage equality to participate. So 
why not just stay home in front of the telly and tune into The Bachelor, watching heterosexuals flaunt their exclusive right to marriage under Australian law? We'd especially like all you young Australians to not register by the deadline of August 24th, because we know how much you fucking hate us. So the last thing we want is for you to be ready to vote in the next federal election. Marriage equality, still not a thing in Australia. Authorised by the Department of No Leadership and Unnecessary Harm. So the next thing we're going to play is a story I put together about the UK election. I followed the UK election pretty closely. It was a really interesting period because Theresa May said for so long she wasn't going to call an election. She did. Brexit had just kind of happened. The country is in a bit of turmoil. There's a lot of fear in the world. Populism is happening. There's just some really extreme events. So I wanted to put together a little package about the important things that came out of the election, kind of summarising it, because there's so much coverage during an election, I wanted to bring it down to my summation of important things. In the past, I've done mashups about news stories. I did one about the screening of The Red Pill, which is a really controversial film. Screenings had been shut down all over the country. It went ahead in Brisbane. I also did one about Yasmin Abdul-Majid and the negative coverage she received on Anzac Day about her post. They were fine, but there's something really engaging about putting together a five things you need to know about blank. It was really fast paced and I, I really enjoyed doing this one. I think doing a mashup or a collage in contrast with an interview allows you a little bit more editorial freedom. It has been just over a week since the UK general election, yet the ramifications of the snap election are still being felt as Brexit negotiations are set to start on Monday the 19th of June. So here is our wrap-up of the top five things you should know about the election. Number one, UK Prime Minister Theresa May called a snap election for June 8th after previously promising that she wouldn't. She came to the conclusion after hiking in Wales with her husband, who, by the way, apparently does all the boy jobs, like taking out the bins. I get to decide when I take the bins out. Not if I take the bins out. <laughs> I mean, of There's course, boy bro- jobs and girl jobs, you see. Boy jobs really. and girl jobs. Number two, the Tories expected a colossal win. Polls had Conservatives with a 24-point lead on Labour, a nine-year high for the party. Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn's unpopularity copped the brunt of the blame following his inability to unify the party during and following the EU referendum campaign. Speaking of... Number three, the election was all about Brexit. In calling for an election, Theresa May was looking for a stronger mandate to push for a hardline Brexit when it came to negotiations. However, May's strong and stable majority soon became pretty weak and wobbly. Whilst the Lib Dems stood on a platform of a second referendum, Corbyn's campaign was founded on a truly left-wing manifesto, which showcased policy that appealed directly to those who voted yes in the referendum. Which leads on to number four. Despite predictions, Labour weren't massacred and instead fought a historically good campaign, which meant May's Conservatives were left eight shy of forming a majority government. The Tories lost 13 seats, Labour picked up 30, and the controversial UK Independence Party, formerly led by Nigel Farage, lost their only seat in Parliament. Just who the hell do you think you people are? Number five. Perhaps the most important thing to know following the general election is that the Conservatives are set to form a minority government in coalition with the DUP. The Democratic Unionist Party. The DUP is a right-wing Unionist Party from Northern Ireland who are anti-abortion, anti-gay rights and have a history of paramilitary links. So the strong push from the left may have caused the most conservative government in years. We're yet to see what this will do for Brexit negotiations and whether the Queen's speech will be passed. Whatever the outcome, Theresa May is certainly looking pretty weak and wobbly. Lucy Chivinsky for 4 Z News.
the thing that I really loved about your five things you need to know is the pace, is the speed, is the fact that I think you did the first one in 45 minutes. You, I did. You literally were um, doing it quickly. You were recording <laughs> it quickly because you didn't have that much time to get it out that there. That was the thing. And, that, and it was fantastic. You're listening to Behind the Line, Best of Sunday Brisbane Line podcast with Craig and Lucy. So next, we'll be playing a collage. I've been playing around with this idea in my head for a while. What really got me was the 2016 election where the Liberal Party basically imploded. It had been a huge campaign and at the end of the night, every single politician was ragged and they were arguing on air. And I just thought this is fantastic because my theory of politicians is it's the mistakes, it's the things they say under pressure when they're tired, when we see the real politician. My first collage was of all the nasty, horrible things all the politicians were saying to each other. There was no narrative to it. I just threw stuff together. What we're going to play for you now is my collage of the 18C debate. This is my favourite one because it's the first one where I actually put a narrative in the story. Federal Cabinet is recommending substantial changes to the Racial Discrimination Act. Bastard-coated bastards with bastard filling. The Prime Minister chose Harmony Day, a national celebration of multiculturalism, as a day to announce a rewrite of the Racial Discrimination Act. Well, that's plain stupid. The Race Discrimination Commissioner, Dr Tim Supomasam. The government's entertaining the deletion of offend and insult from Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. If the government proceeds with this, it'd be disappointing and concerning because it may send a dangerous signal to our society that racially offensive and insulting conduct is somehow acceptable or justified. My head can't tolerate this bobbing and pretending Listen to some bullet head madness that he said I believe we are in danger of being swamped by Asians. Immigration must be halted in the short term so that our dull queues are not added to by, in many cases, unschooled migrants not fluent in the English language. Indiscriminate immigration and, and aggressive multiculturalism have caused crime. Now we are in danger of being swamped by Muslims. Let me put it in this analogy. We have a disease. We vaccinate ourselves against it. Islam is a disease. We need to vaccinate ourselves against that. Well, that's plain stupid. Senator Bernardi. But I also want the Australian people to know there are people who share their priorities for reforming Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act. Labor MP Linda Burney, an Aboriginal woman, shared a personal experience of abuse she received on Twitter. It says, at Linda Burney MP, why are you abos allowed to harass people for dollars outside grocery stores? For you are uneducated drug addicts and disgusting. Malcolm Turnbull insists that he's restoring integrity to a law that's been discredited while defending free speech. Yeah. 
Mr Turnbull, who in the lead-up to last year's election said he had no plans to change the Racial Discrimination Act, now says that it's necessary. Well, that's plain stupid. Senator Bernardi. It's entirely about the principle behind freedom of speech in this country. John Hewson is sceptical. Why would Turnbull do it now when he's consistently for the last several months said it's not a first-order issue? One Nation is doing very well in Queensland. It will shore up support within Cabinet. We just have to do what you've been doing all along. Lie to everybody. George Brandis. We don't want to have a country in which freedom of speech, one of the things that, you know, the Anzacs fought for. And when we have free speech curbed, it means we don't talk about the real issues. Tax. Senator Abetz argues it's wrong that it's only illegal to insult someone on the basis of their race, but not for any other reason. Why not the height of a person, or indeed the shortness of a person? David Lionhelm. Racists are prone to conspiratorial thoughts. Suppressing their speech is like suppressing flatulence. It might not make itself known in the same way, but it's still there and will erupt somewhere. They won't be, uh, uh, you know, numerate or literate in their own language, let alone English. These people would be taking Australian jobs, there's no question about that. I think people have become so precious that you can't say or do anything anymore, otherwise you'll be dragged off to the law courts. Lie to everybody. But I feel like a hypocrite talking to you, you and your friend. In central Sydney, Australia's most multicultural city, it's not hard to find victims of racial discrimination. Well, I was with my friend, we're both Asian, and this guy he comes up and he starts like saying oh, ching chong. A friend of mine was walking and uh, someone came and uh, just knocked his head from the back um, and just said go back or something. What it was hard to find was anyone who wants the Racial Discrimination Act changed or reworded. I think that Australia already have very good policy and, and, and laws. I don't think they've considered all the implications before they've taken it away. I think there's more important things to kind of look at right now. Green Senator Nick McKim. This is not about freedom of speech. It's about making it easier for people to say racist things in this country without facing consequences for those statements. Linda Burney. 18D of the Racial Discrimination Act provides all the protections necessary for poets, for artists, for cartoonists um, and for the media. The Race Discrimination Commissioner, Dr Tim Supomasam. There's no compelling or persuasive case to be changing the Racial Discrimination Act. And the best thing I think about this particular mashup was that all the other mashups or collages were so, so hilarious. Like they were really, really funny. And this one is as well, but it just gets to a stage where you go, ha 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 ha, this is all, this is all really weird. Oh wait, this isn't a joke. (laughs) Like people are, people are really affected by this. Mm, Yeah, mm. it's great. It's just kind of dropping that down and reminding everyone that, 18C is in place for a reason. All right, let's go, boys! Australia has a rich cultural history and the Australian Cultural Library would like your help in preserving our artefacts. It currently holds over 20,000 items, including books, zines, music, 
film, posters, t-shirts and paintings, from the well-known to the rare and obscure. The library is not government or corporate funded and relies on donations and volunteers to contribute, collect, house and manage its resources. You can drop off donations, new or old, at 4ZZZ or contact the Australian Cultural Library. Joining us in the studio now, we have Anna from a Brisbane creative group called Girls Like You. It's basically an online space to buy original wares made by girls, trans and non-binary people from Brisbane. This is Brisbane Line regular reporter Charlotte Jones, also from the Ultimate League of Amateurs. And this is one of her first interviews for Brisbane Line. That's it. It's kind of a like a community project that I'm trying to get lots of people involved with and just try and get lots of artists out there selling their stuff and making a bit of money. What inspired you to put this project together? I've got some really amazing creative friends who've been creating things for years now um, and just, you know, trudging on with the Instagram and trying to get themselves out there a bit. I've got friends who are screen printing sick t-shirts with their original illustrations. I've got friends who make clay pieces and wall hangings and woven art and all sorts of things. And looking into setting up online stores is crazy expensive. And just day to day trying to handle having a job or studying or mental health issues, all of that and just trying to make your art to get through all that and being left with nothing at the end is just so taxing on a young community. So I wanted to set up a space where they could get any level of help that they needed. If that was just marketing, that's fine. If they needed help with all the organisational side of it, then I wanted to take on board some of that. I've always been better at doing other people's assignments than my own. So <laughs> true. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> I thought, you know, I could try and set up a platform where we can really get things moving in Brisbane. People keep saying Brisbane isn't like a big place for creative growth. I think that is just bullshit to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think too. I think what we need to do is start our own creative space. Yeah. And, and the thing with Brisbane is everybody knows everybody. It is like this weird massive country town and it's just about making more of those connections so that we can really start to build it. I'm really admiring that you've gone to the effort of doing this for people that you know. Who have you collaborated with so far? We've got a few people. Um, at the moment, I'm just trying to get the Instagram with a bit of a following behind it, so I'm reposting as much as I can from local people. So let me know if you've got any art that you're making that you want a bit of a platform for, just marketing-wise. But I've got one of my favourite illustrators. Her Instagram is Scords. She's amazing. She does a lot of design work. I've got some embroidery. So Harley and Hand Hen is amazing. She also does some collage work. My best friend and housemate, Snake Pit 777. She does pretty much everything. She's a collageist. She's learning to loom at the moment. She does my photography quite a bit. I also work with some photographers and makeup artists that I've been lucky enough to work with in the past. I do a little bit of modeling work. They've come on board and helped me out a lot with trying to get this t-shirt aspect of it up and going, which is basically just a bunch of op shop t-shirts that I give out to mates of mine or artists, people that I know through other people, just the Brisbane web, and they can kind of recreate the t-shirts. We stamp them with the logo just on the back and then market them and sell them through the Instagram and the site. They get back 80% of whatever the sale price is and then 20% goes back into the project. So yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's just to try and get some quick money. And what, what is the Instagram? Uh, it's girls like you BNE. And the branding is girls like you, but we are 
uh, open to the gender diversity as much as possible. Um, so I just try to clarify that where I can. And I'm definitely looking at opening it up to men because I think there should be more men in crafts, you know, flexing creativity and not their toxic masculinity, which is my <laughs> Yeah. Tell us about some of the services you offer. I basically want to tailor it to every individual. I don't want to try and um, make it really clear. It needs to be a flexible service. It needs to cater to whatever the individual needs. With the site, it's it's underway, but it's really hard making websites. So that's going to have like an actual online store component where you can just shop as you usually would at an online store. And that can take some of the pressure off people trying to set up their own online spaces. I've also got basic marketing. I'm happy to help out with picking up, wrapping, shipping or delivering or we want to try and get stuff out on bikes as much as possible because we've got a big focus on sustainability. So just as little movement around as possible because that's some of the issues with shopping from major corporations is that there's so much carbon footprint involved in that whole process. So trying to reduce that. Who can be involved and how can they be involved? Everybody, please, please come and help me. (laughs) I need this to be a community effort and I think it's all about you know it's support girls like you it's all about helping out the people around you so shoot me a message girls like you bne on instagram or email is girls like you bne at outlook.com let me know what you do how you think you can help I need graphic designers stylists artists I need people who want to buy shit I just I need everyone (laughs) what are your goals for the future with girls like you when I first sort of started putting the idea together and trying to streamline it into something a little bit simpler because in my brain I was just like getting really carried away but I mean the ideal is to have a really easy versatile efficient space and then once creatives have built up a bit of a following and some funds from that they can move out and start up their own online shops and really like go out into the world and do their own thing it's meant to be a stepping platform and obviously like the dream is to extend it and have like little segments of it in other cities and whatever but that's end goal (laughs) Get involved, guys, and um, support your local Brisbane creatives and shop local. So you can get involved with Girls Like You. You can follow them on Facebook or Instagram. That's Girls Like You B-N-E. And the website is girlslikeyoubne.weebly.com. Yeah, it's underway. I've kind of transferred to some other spaces, so we'll see what happens there. But keep an eye out. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much for coming in, Anna. And we look forward to seeing where that goes in the future. Rockin' to the Z all day long Hummin' and boppin' and singin' along You love what Triple Z and wanna keep it alive well, I'm about to tell you why you should subscribe You get sweet benefits Like sub discounts And requests For your favourite songs On air prizes and volunteering at the station if you're under 18, on pet or from international waters, subscribing is only $15. Concessions and interstates, 33. Adults, 55. Solo musicians, artists and community groups, all 80. Businesses, 130. Bands, 155. And passionate subscribers, $140. Come be part of the Rockin' Robins here at 4ZZZ. To subscribe, just fly into the station or visit us on our website at 4ZZZFM.org.au. That's it for Behind the Line. Behind the Line. The squeaky gate. I can't remember how the squeaky gate came came about. I think we were talking to one of our contributors, Charlotte Jones, about how our show works when she first started contributing. And I think one of us said, 
oh, it's just, you know, like a well-oiled machine. And then one of us went, well, like a squeaky gate. And then we just ran with that. Yeah, it's a squeaky gate. It's still functional, just maybe not super efficient. We'd like to thank House Conspiracy for the space. It's a beautiful house. It's such a fantastic project for artists. And earlier today, we had dinner at Moose. Yeah, shout out to Moose. Shout out to Moose. A fantastic community initiative. They're an Eritrean restaurant. They're a not-for-profit. They are helping train and provide work for refugees. And it's some hella tasty food at that. It is. This is a shout out to all the people who've helped over the past 12 months in all the different ways. Shona Hawks, Lewis Holmes. Jack McDonald from Tuesday alongside Matt Deneen and also Elliot Rifkin who does a Thursday. Toby Crockford as well helps out on Thursday. Yeah. Also Leonie Thorne, Andy Payne who's from... Paradigm Shift yep. on a Friday yep. from 12 to 1. Also our regular contributors, past contributors and continuing contributors, Charlotte Jones, Mia Tyquin, Maddie Watt, Elizabeth Ralph, Toby Crockford, Isaac Grigor, Georgia Betros, Melanie Baker, Sammy Heinen Barnes, our wonderful news coordinator, Nicole Karamos, and also another reporter from Eco Radio, Comet, who occasionally helps us out with an environmental story. Yeah. And we'd also like to thank some of the other sources for our content, the Juice Media, Queer Radio, and uh, the Community Radio Network. The thing that we do right at the end of every show is we play a go-between song each week. We're going to do another medley to end today. Did we want to explain why we do a go-between song? I think this is something that was pinched from Kids With Class Kicking Us. Oh, yeah, the show that comes before us, 10 to 12, every Saturday. Every Saturday. Converse and Danica do a rollicking good time on a Saturday morning and it always gears us up for our show. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah, and they play the same song at the end of their show every single week. And as soon as we hear it, we know we've got to get into action. We're just about to go on air. So we adopted something similar, a quintessentially Brisbane band being the go-betweens. Yep. Normally we'd say stay tuned for Soldier Sisters after us from one to two, but this is a standalone podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Enjoy Karen, Spring Rain, Bye Bye Pride, Streets of Your Town, Darlinghurst Nights, Pondle Family, and then Karen again. (laughs) Enjoy the go-between. The (laughs) go-between.